0: All right, take your Bibles, turn to the Christmas story found in Ephesians chapter 1. There's no Christmas story there, but we're going to use the hope that they talked about, use Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 this morning to give us the basis of why we celebrate Christmas this morning. It's been 10 years ago, that it happened on Christmas Day 10 years ago, but I have to back up a few months. It was on September the 15th which was a good day. It was my birthday, and I was celebrating my birthday, but I was getting a special gift that day. The gift I was getting was going to be one of the most unique gifts you could ever get, and that was my daughter and her husband had just re- were returning from Russia, where they had been for the last three or four weeks, to pick up Tim, my grandson. He was two years and a month old when they flew into San Antonio, and he came down the escalator in my daughter's arms, and so my new grandson—I have eight now—but he was, I think, number seven. As he came into our family, uh, we end up trying to communicate with him. I picked up our Tim, held him for the first time, and said, "Our Tim, how are you doing?" He doesn't speak English. He only speaks Russian. He speaks it pretty fluently for a two-year-old in full sentences. And so the next few months were kind of fascinating around the house, trying to talk with this young kid who had spent all two years of his life in an orphanage there in the middle part of Russia. I learned a Russian word, mashina. We'll take by your reaction, none of you know what that word means. Well, it means car. He was fascinated with cars. In fact, for the first two or three months, we watched the movie Cars every time he was at my house. And he go, pop, pop, machina. I knew what that meant. Well, I'm going to learn Russian so I can speak to him. So I do what you do when you want to learn a language. I downloaded an app onto my phone. And I wanted to learn Russian on Duolingo. It doesn't work. Russian language is much different. I know Hebrew, I know Greek, I know a little bit of Arabic. I've been working on my Spanish for about 30 years now, and hablo español poco y no entienden nada?" Some know Spanish, some of you don't. But I couldn't do it. So he and I would drive around San Antonio in his little seat in the back, and he'd be hollering "Machina," and I go "Machina," and we'd par- point out every car in San Antonio. That was our communication. It was Christmas Day now. He is two years. His birthday is in August, so whatever August that is. So two years, four months. He has been in our country three months. He walks in to my house on Christmas Day, and this is what he says. Pop, pop, can we go in the backyard and play together? I was stunned. He had already mastered the English language. I stood outside with him as we were playing. I go... He got the word orders right. The verb tense is correct. How did he do that? I mean, it still amazes me a two-year-old could pick up our English language that quick. To this day, he will sit next to me. He's, a, he's about 12 now. He sits next to me as I'm working Duolingo to improve my Spanish and corrects me. So I, I, I get some good benefit from having him there. But you know what amazed me was? See, he didn't have a choice at that moment. To be able to survive in the new world which he found himself in, he had to learn the language in order to be able to communicate. And that young mind could be able to soak it all in. And he was able to do that until it becomes now, he is extremely good at the use of our language, even better than I am on many many occasions. Well, I want to take that thought because that's so impacted his life. And I want to ask today, how much does the story of who Jesus is impact you? Because we live in a world that's very difficult and very painful and very tough. The hurt and the pain that is out there is beyond anything most of the time any of us can fathom. I come at life a little bit more serious than others because of the staff I've worked with and the circumstances I have found myself in. One of my staff members spent eight times in jail in Mauritania. His wife had a nervous breakdown the last time because I want him again to tell you the stories of what happened to them but it's one of the most tragic stories and yet he served my staff for the last 10 years before I retired and is one of the finest men and love of Christ and the greatest evangelist I've ever known. And so as he served Christ in Mauritania as an IMB missionary and he lost everything, literally he lost everything because of his service. He has never wavered once in unbelief. He is so strong in his faith, it is stunning. One of my staff members is a war hero from Vietnam. There's a movie made about him. It's Bat 21. I won't go into what all taken place in in Doug's life, but he had some of the most horrific battle stories you have ever heard. And yet Doug served with me for 15 years. One of the most kind, compassionate guys. After seeing the worst that life had to offer, he is one of the most strong, stable, committed men to Christ I have ever met in my life. And I can tell you several other men that I've had the privilege to be able to walk with who, in the worst of circumstances, stood strong. And the basis of why they stand strong are passages like this. Now, I'm going to read this. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's 3 through 14. I'm of a tradition. I have everybody stand, but I'm going to leave y'all down because that's y'all's tradition. And, but what I want you to do when I read this, I want you to watch for something. Something that's repeated over and over and over. I'm not going to tell you, but I will come back to it very quickly. So you follow along, follow in verse 3. Let's walk through this and talk through it in a way. And literally, I'm going to go verse by verse through this today. Because I want you to know something. You've been given the greatest gift ever. Christmas is a time of receiving gifts. You already have the greatest gift ever given to you. And it should so impact how you live your life every day that nothing gets in the way of you walking with Christ and giving Him glory and doing what I preached on a couple weeks ago. Life filled with joy life filled with prayer, life filled with thanksgiving, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you'll follow along, it says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And you mark that phrase, that is very important. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless Before him, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And he did this according to the kind intention of his will. And it's to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he has freely bestowed on all of us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption. It's through his blood. It is the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his grace. The riches of his grace. He's lavished all of this on us. In all wisdom and insight, he has done something. And what is that? He's made known to us the mystery of his will. And he did that according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him. And he did this with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is this, the summing up of all things in Christ. The things in heaven, the things on earth. Also, in him we have attained an inheritance. We've been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end, that we who are the first to hope in Christ, and there's our hope for the theme for today, hope in Christ, the first to be able to do that, we would do this to the praise of his glory. And in him, you also listening, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Notice it said, your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with Him with the Holy Spirit, a promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with this view in mind the redemption of God's own possession. You're God's possession this day. He owns you through the blood of Christ, and it's all to the praise of His glory. Now I want to notice something in this this morning. I got two simple points. Got about seventeen points under one, so don't think it's short, but it won't be long. Did you notice what's jumped out as I read that over and over and over again? I, I, There's a phrase jumped out seventeen times. This, in the, in, so you'll know in the Greek, this is one sentence. It's not several sentences in the like it is in English. It's one long thought process from verse three to the end of verse fourteen. Well, here's what it is. Verse 3, in Christ. Verse 4, in him. Verse, oh, I just lost every one of my notes. you got to love technology. So let me glance at it with my own eyes here. Verse 4, before him. I jumped down, verse 5, to himself. His will, in verse 5. Verse 6, below, in the beloved, verse 7, according to his grace. He looked down a little bit farther, according to the mystery of His will, verse ten. The summing up all things in Christ, verse eleven. His will, verse thirteen. His glory, verse thirteen or twelve. In Christ, verse thirteen. In Him, verse fourteen. It's all in Him, His glory, His everything. Here's my phrase: in over and over and over, it says in Christ, in Him, in His beloved over and over and over and over through this. To this amazing church in Ephesus who had brought out the most pagan of worlds. The Temple of Diane is right there. The seven wonders of the world's in this city. There are riots later because of his preaching of the gospel because so many people came to Christ. They even burned books in this city because so many people had come to Christ. They got rid of all their magic books, everything else. And he is reminding them when he writes back to them, all of this is in Jesus That's why we make such a big deal in all that we do within our church that we gather and we give glory and honor and praise through our song, our prayers, our preaching to Christ. Because that's what leads to the great truth that you found in verse 3. And that simply is this. In verse 3 it says, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. You here in Greenville who confess faith in Christ are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. He took you from that old life. He brought you into a new life. And he has poured these blessings out upon you. And it's all in the name of Jesus. And that's why you and I should never be ashamed of who he is. We should never be ashamed to be able to speak his name. We should uplift his name in all that we do and say. Because all the blessings of life are ours already because of him. In the culture in which you and I now find ourselves, and I don't know what it's like being in in Greenville, but I know what it's like in other places, and I've traveled the country, and I've been around the world, and I've seen a lot. Life has changed. Sometimes I wish we could go back a little bit to where it used to be. It's not going back there. And life may get more difficult in the days ahead, but no matter what, you know what you and I are called to do? To take seriously our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as he begins to tell this church how he needs them to live, and that's what this whole book of Ephesians is going to be about, he does some of the greatest ethical teachings you'll find when you get to chapter 4, but he's wanting to know your basis is in Christ. Okay, it's good to know that, but here's the thing I want to make, and that's why I told the story about our Tim at the start, because he was so engrossed within that. It was his everyday affair, trying to filter in the English language from his Russian mindset that eventually it soaked in. You and I have to do like we talked about last week with Mary. We need to be at the point in our life that we truly do treasure who Jesus Christ is. Just like she did. She treasured it. It was more important to her than anything else what she was hearing about him. We are people who should deeply treasure the greatest treasure ever given, and that's Christ Jesus. But the other thing that she did was she pondered. I closed last week with that to seriously reflect and to think what that means in our lives. Which leads me where I want to go now with the second point is this. When you stand in the pulpit and you pastor churches for 46 years as I've done, one of the things that you see is a lot of times church members who sit there Sunday after Sunday. They sing, they say the prayers, they come to the Bible studies. But when the crisis of life hits, and their verse may be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So a tough time comes, they begin to quote that verse. as like a mantra over and over. They say it enough, it becomes true. And yet in the midst of the pressure of life, they get squeezed and what comes out is not very good. They fold under the pressures that they encounter. I had a Christian school for nearly 30 years. We closed it just before COVID. It was because of um, homeschool and literally took all of our kids and put them in the home instead of in our private school but we we had a great time for 30 years. I'll never forget opening one day they were having chapel I came in sat in the back listened to the pre-K teachers he's doing chapel. And he had up here on the little table as he's telling the story of whatever the story was. I don't remember the story but I remember how it ended. He had an opaque ketchup bottle. You know what I mean by opaque? It's red on the outside. You have no idea what's on the inside, but the red tells you it's ketchup. And then he had an opaque mustard bottle, kind we of used to be in all the restaurants, and they'd sit at your table, and when you got your hamburger, you'd squeeze what you wanted on there. And he'd left that in there as he's telling what he was wanting to do. But when it came time, he picks up the mustard, and he turns it over, and he squeezed it, and ketchup came out. Out of the yellow bottle of ketchup. And then he squeezed the red bottle, and mustard came out. Well, the kids never got the point of the story. They just went crazy over mustard coming out of ketchup and ketchup coming out of mustard, which that makes sense. You know, they're first, second graders, kindergartners and everything else. I never forgot it because you know what they told me? When life comes and you get squeezed, what comes out? Sometimes we put on a good picture of what we are, but real times like that show us exactly where we're at. And you know what? We're supposed to rejoice when those times come. Not be upset, angry, or bitter. And right now, I see more anger across this nation in churches and everything else than we've ever seen in all the years I've been doing this. Coming out of COVID, I don't know what it did, but it's turned everything totally upside down. We're not people filled with anger. We're people who are filled with joy and thanksgiving because we're the most blessed people in all the world. And so when we encounter the difficult trials, instead of them consuming us and squeezing us and revealing something's not good, what should happen is we should think for a moment. Considered all joy, my brother, when I encounter various trials. James, the test of your faith, it produces endurance. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5, that when we go through tribulation, we rejoice. Why? Because God is making us even stronger. So what I want to do is, what are the, why are we blessed? What is it that you and I possess this day that shows that we're the most blessed people in all of the world? Well, follow along with me. Look at verse 4. Here's the first one. He chose you and I before the foundation of the world. Now, you can go a couple different ways with that, and I don't have time to to get into all the ins and outs of that. I just want you to know you're special. And this isn't something that just happened. It is not something that just happened. God had a plan before the world was ever formed. That's almost above my pay grade. You know, I have my earned doctorate. I've, I've studied under some of the most amazing minds ever, but there's some things I can't fully grasp nor understand, but I just know it's true. God knew this kid right here when I was growing up on the bowels of Southeast Texas. He knew who I was before I was even born. He knew who I was even before the world was even founded and spoke into existence. Explain it. You say, I can't. But I know it's true. Do you know what that means now for me or for you? There's significance to who you are. I've been telling this to my grandson, Artem, who comes from the deepest parts of Russia. His dad is and his mom is Russian. We don't know who his dad is, and we never will know who his dad is. His mom's an alcoholic when she was in her early 20s, and I'm not even certain today if she's even alive. How does a family from San Antonio find a kid in Russia? I'm still not certain I understand all that happened with that. But yet God seems to have a plan in our Tim's life and he's crossed our paths. And we're having some good and some tough times through it, but it's been amazing to watch that. See, I know something. When I walk into any circumstance, situation, God is prepared beforehand because He knows he's known me and he's got me ready for whatever he's stuck me in front of. And you never know what you're going to encounter. So when I face the trials or tribulation in life, I know something. He already knows who I am. Second thing is, he'd been adopted. So I have a new family. Which means what? My dad just recently passed away after 90 years. If you, when I picked up the phone and he would answer, he'd know immediately by my voice. And I'd say, hey dad, what's going on? And he'd respond. Now if you picked up the phone and my dad was still alive and you would call him, say, hey dad, he wouldn't have any idea. I want you to know that the creator of the universe knows who you are when you say, Hey, Dad, i a father. A father who loves you. My mom had a dad who was one of the sorriest men ever on the face of the earth. She took a shotgun out of his hand when she was eight years of age as he was threatening the family. My mom had a lot of scars because of all she went through as a little girl. But I'll tell you, my mom demonstrated the presence of Christ, and she could pray, and she found greater joy in prayer because she had a father who had listened to her and who loved her. So I want you to know something. You and I have a father in heaven, and when you bow your head and you say, father in heaven, he looks down and says, I know you, you're mine, you're mine. I want you to notice the next blessing. It's free. It's free. Freely bestowed on us, all of this. That's found in verse 5. Freely bestowed, this highly favored grace is given to us in Christ. See, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or not educated. My grandmother had a second grade education. I have an earned doctorate. My grandmother knew the scripture just as well as I did, and she loved the Lord maybe even more than I, I have ever done in my life, because it doesn't matter. God gifted all of us with this amazing grace that we find in Christ Jesus. It's ours. I go on because I got to get through this quickly. Next thing in verse seven, I have redemption. I've been set free. You've been set free. See, I didn't come to Christ until I was 20. I went to the University of Texas. Uh, don't hold that against me for some of you who went to that other school. I wanted to be rich and famous. That was my goals in life, rich and famous. I got the fame. You don't want that at all. It's not fun at all. I've never found the riches. But I got Pledge of the Year in the fraternity at Texas. You don't get Pledge of the Year by being a good guy. I didn't do well because I partied too much and played too much. And to my parents' upsetness with me, I moved back home and attended Lamar University my last two years. And it was during that time I found Christ. Ed Wright, one of the great pastors in Texas, shared the gospel with me at Gloria in New Mexico at Student Week. He was the same age I was. We stayed buddies for years. And that night, it made sense. And I was removed from the old life, and I was given a new life. Every one of us in here who are in Christ had been given the opportunity to leave the old life and have a new life, like our Tim did. He left Russia the old life, now has a new life that lives in Fort Worth, new opportunities. Every one of us had been given that new life through redemption, which meant a price paid. You know how valuable you are? It was His blood shed for you. He shed His blood so you would not face God's wrath, and He has given you a new life. If you can't get excited over that, something's wrong. It's one of the greatest things ever given to us and then on top of it the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins some of us have some really bad sins that we label quote bad some of us weren't so bad my wife my kids still think my wife probably didn't sin for a while because she's so goody and everything she does she did I can tell you that I've been with her long enough to know but I was a lot worse than she was. If she have known me when I was in college, she would have not had a thing to do with me. But I want you to know both of us are forgiven because both of us needed to be forgiven because of the sin nature that one had. And so we stand before God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is one of the greatest things ever. Because when you understand how forgiven you are in Christ, then whatever happened in your past or whatever ways you went that were not good, they aren't burdens on you anymore because he's taken that off. You don't have to live in the past. You live in the present anticipation of the future of what God's doing in your life. The next thing he does is he not only is given to us free, but he lavishes in the next verse, verse 7, excuse, yeah, seven and 8, he lavishes the riches of his grace on us. God didn't just give you a little grace. He pours his grace out on you every single day. You ever sing the song Amazing Grace by uh, John Newton? Go back and read John Newton's life. It is not good. One of the most horrific men to ever live on the face of the earth involved in slave trading. Even the slave traders hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. But he eventually one day, through a very dramatic way, came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and became one of the greatest preachers in England during his day. And he and Wilberforce literally overthrew slavery in England. He changed his life so dramatically. And he talks about that grace that he received that took him from being one of the sorriest individuals on the face of the earth to one of the most impactful men who ever lived. And he would tell you that that grace was lavished on him every day. You're no different. God has lavished his grace on you day after day. The next thing is verse 8 and 9. He's allowed us to know the mystery of his will. There are a lot of things God hadn't revealed to us, but he has allowed us to know a few things. And that is that there is going to be what is next, the summing up of all things in Jesus. I have a good friend. We've been texting all week. He is one of the leading finance guys in America. If you are, any of you are former military and you have some of your investments at USAA in San Antonio, he literally oversaw that for about 20 years and made you more money than you'll ever know. He's, he's literally genius at, at stock market and investing and everything else. But he's one of the most devoted people to Christ that I have ever known. He's also a very interesting man. He's 60 years of age, and he devours books that have, go against everything that he believes. So he understands the other side. But he wrote me the other day. And he knows my background and what I was involved in in 2013 and 2014 in defending the military against some policies. But he then wrote, he said, Steve, things are worse than I ever anticipated after reading, especially coming out of COVID. And he named me five books, and so I've started reading two of them this week and follow up on what he's saying. But he said this, you know, at my age, I've now got to this point. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We're not going to change the culture around us. So we look forward, not that our presence is here, but we have a home waiting for us. He's going to sum this up in Christ. I don't know if you know we win. We win. We're going to go home and we're going to stand in the presence of God and see that he was in control of all that was going on. And he was using us to be salt and light in a world that the darkness has always been there. But he's done it in such a way that he is going to allow us to impact lives. And bring them with us, and we will celebrate together in heaven because everything is closed out in Christ. This world may look like it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's not. It's heading straight to the providence of God and the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what happens out of that is you have an inheritance coming to you. Verse 11, an inheritance. You're richer than you ever imagined. Jan and I, right now, because of the death of her father, who was 96 just a few weeks ago. Her brother and her have been working through the will and the stuff, and so this week Jan got the first of what would be about four checks. It's not a great amount of money. He was a grocery store manager. He did okay, but they wrote the first check, and I I put it into our savings account, and and she said, what are we going to do with that money? I said, well, your property taxes are due, and ours went up 40%, so that'll take half of it. And um, house insurance is coming, and it went up from 1600 a year to 2300 a year. So that's going to take the rest. And the grandkids will probably soak up all that goes thereafter, <laughs> No one, my wife. The inheritance is almost already gone. It is amazing sometimes when you get inheritance, if it's just my average, not a lot. It doesn't take much to go through it. But I want you to know something. You got an inheritance waiting for you that can never be taken away, that will never fade away. It's reserved, has your name on it. What is it? Being in the presence of the Father. These bodies of ours will be resurrected and they will be as he is. We will be in glorified bodies. To you young people, that doesn't mean a whole lot. To some of us older ones, it means a bunch. You know, I was on the football field. I said that last week. I was out in the middle of a scrimmage one day. Those kids run faster than I do. They hit harder than I hit. And I'm trying to get out of the way of a play as they come sweeping around. A guy coming, he didn't see me. You ever heard of what's called a blindside block? He did a blindside run me over. I'm still paying for it today. It hurts. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Get rid of this pain. It'd be nice. But you know my inheritance is? One day there'll be no more pain. No more sorrow. No more suffering. That's my inheritance. But my greatest inheritance is I get to see Jesus. I get to see my mom, my dad. I get to see my sister. I mean, I have such hope waiting for me. I, I, it's amazing. It gives me the ability every day to live to my fullest. Because it it doesn't end bad. It ends amazing. I shared a couple weeks ago when my dad passed away on a Wednesday. I went up to church after I, I left the nursing home after being with him all morning long until, until they had came and taken him away. I got to church and everybody was going, how sad that you on your birthday your dad died. No, it's not sad. On my birthday, my dad went home. My dad, who was such a great man who had the ability not to think clearly anymore, Think clearly again. Could articulate like he could when he was a man as he lived his life fully on the, this earth. See, we have that inheritance waiting for every one of us in Christ. And then, you know what that gives us in verse 12? This is our theme for the day. Hope. Solomon knew this deeply. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. A lot of times our hopes that we have in this world get ripped away from us and it leaves our heart broken. I want you to know something. You have a hope in Christ that cannot be taken away from you. can give you the confidence to live your life fully every single day. And then next, you know what guarantees this? You've been sealed. There's a stamp on you and however God does it, it's the Holy Spirit. You're His and He's not going to let you go. Life is not going to steal away your great blessings you have in Christ because He's given you the Spirit of God. And He wants you to live in that fullness every single day. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what He wants in your life because He has given you the greatest gift. And you want to know something? It's a pledge of our inheritance. The Spirit given to you is the first taste of something even greater coming your way. Some of you are too young to even remember this, but we used to do layaways. Y'all remember layaways? Now we just go up deep in debt and get it now. But used to, you didn't do that. You went to the store and you gave them 100 bucks because you wanted this or that. I needed. I'm, I'm going to get a new set of golf clubs here in the first year, try to get myself back on the golf course a little bit. And so in the old days, what I'd have done was is I'd have put hundred gone down to Gibson's. And they're cheap clubs there, but I'd have put 100 dollars down at Gibson's. And then every month I'd go back and give them $25 or $20 or whatever I could. And then it would come a day it was paid for. And on that day they would give me the clubs and I could take them home. I was in possession of them the whole time, but I didn't have it in reality. You're in possession of your inheritance. The down payment is the Holy Spirit. And someday, it's fully going to be brought together, and that is yours. And in verse 14, one last thing. He owns you. You've been bought with a price. You are not your own. He takes care of his property. You're it, and you're special. So let me stop in a moment and wrap down. What does all that mean? But I'm of the impact in my thought process that if I fully grasp and understand this this will give me the courage and strength to face whatever I face in life in 2013 when I defended Sergeant Philip Monk if you ever get involved in something like that on a national level and I was I've been, uh, on Fox and Friends CNN I've been in the national press. I have been on radio stations all over the United States. I end up being the voice of Sergeant Monk on the issue of marriage. All I ever said and every time I was on was that marriage is between a man and a woman. That's God's standard. And that my sergeant should have the right to have that conviction in the military. He had lost his job because he did not have that conviction. When you do that within the cultural setting, your name is mud you can google my name and you're going to get some bad stuff media matters southern poverty law center many others huffington post wrote some pretty scathing articles about me my church members ever so often say steve they call me have you seen this no i'll send you the link thank you that's just what i wanted to read today <laughs> i will tell you that it that doesn't bother me you you you, my football players the other day asked my wife does steve ever get mad because i was the only coach that didn't go into screaming fits when something went wrong on the field and she said you know i've been married 46 years i've never seen him angry once yet he gets a little agitated but he never gets angry well you know why i'm not allowing others to control who i am you're not controlling my response so when the media came after me full blast, that's all right. You want to know something? I am the most blessed man in all the world. I belong to Christ. It's not what their opinions that matter. It's what His is. And I have been bought with a price. I have been forgiven. I have been given the Spirit of God as a down payment, as part of my inheritance. I have a hope, and the hope is real. And so in the midst of all of that, I can stand up and say truth. Because when you're clothed in the full armor of God, Ephesians 6, right? Ephesians, at the end of this, we get to the full armor of God. And you get to the point that it says in evil days, and I was going through evil days in 2013, I have all of the protection I need. And nobody can take it away from me. And my only response is a sword of truth, which is the word of God, which is not the written word of God. It's in the Greek, it's rhema. It's the spoken word of God. And so in the midst of that, I can stand quietly and speak to truth. And I want you to know, it worked. I wrote the religious freedom platform for the Air Force afterwards. I got Sergeant Monk his job back. It was stunning what happened, and I still don't understand all that took place. So when I stand here and say these truths are critical importance, it's through the fire that I learned that. I knew it my whole life. It's been a part of who I am. But when I was brought to the greatest pressures I've ever been in my life, I simply knew this, I'm going to trust Jesus, and wherever this goes, that's where we're going. It's the greatest journey ever. I don't want to ever do it again. But it's the greatest journey I've ever been on in my life. And so ever since 2013, when I stand in the pulpit, I have spoken more differently than I've ever spoken before because I understand how evil the world is, but I understand how amazing His grace is. And so I want you to know this day as we enter the Christmas season and as the theme of your day of this month, as you've been going through the candles here, the Advent candles, today was hope. Don't let anything rob you of your hope. Hope's real. We're told that the hope that we have in Christ, we will never be disappointed. You hold on to that because you have already received the greatest gift you could ever ask for in your entire life. The gift of life in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day and for the privilege and honor you give us to study your word. And we need passages like this. We need them to teach us so that we have the strength and the courage to live our lives. None of us know what direction you're taking us in our lives and your providence as you guide our steps. But whatever direction you take us, you have created us for that moment and that purpose. And you've called us to stand firm in Christ and to speak the truths of your word and to uplift the name of the Lord Jesus, whoever we come in contact with. So, Father, I pray that you'll bless each one here with an understanding of this. Just as Paul, as he finished these statements, began to pray, they would understand what he was saying, that you would open their eyes to see your power at work within their lives. Give comprehension to them. Help it to come as they ponder it, as they treasure it, as they dwell on it. And may it impact how they live their life each day. Amen.